0: Before we get to the Word of God, Proverbs chapter 10, I felt like the Holy Spirit ministered to me as I was reading the Scriptures the other day. Well, actually, I was reading it yesterday. And um, the Bible put this Scripture up there, if you don't mind. Luke chapter 21, 34. We'll get to the book of Proverbs. I just want to, this is a side note. Uh, Just as a side note, this is a side nugget here I want to give you. Just keep your heart prepared. This helps you to, to be prepared to receive the word of God. And so Luke chapter 21, verse 34, these are the words of Jesus to his disciples. He said, uh, and it's I've read this before, but it was like yesterday when I was reading it, it just became rhema to me. It was just like, yeah, just fed my soul yesterday. And since it fed my soul, I want, I'm sure it can feed your soul. Jesus said to his disciples, take heed to yourself. lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness, cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. Jesus is talking to his disciples that the end is coming, and he gives his disciples some words of wisdom that you need to be careful that you are not weighed down with the cares of this life. You got to be very careful that you're not weighed down with the cares of this life. And then he mentions what some of those cares of life are. Carousing, you look at that word up, it's partying, noisy behavior, drinking, kind of like Jesus said in the last days, that it'll be like the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking, giving in marriage, carousing, having a good time. Uh, we all like to have a good time, but Jesus said, don't let that good time get in the way of you being caught on God, off guard, carousing, drinking, And the cares of this life, make sure you're not weighed down. How many could lift up your right hand and say, Pastor, I have a tendency to be weighed down with life? Raise your hand. Is there anybody that can just say, that's been me before? And so tonight, this is a word of encouragement to you. Beware of being weighed down by the cares of this life. Be careful of all the carousing, and you shouldn't be drinking anyway. Can I hear an amen? And be careful that the cares of this life do not weigh you down. The word weighed down there, it carries the idea of like a heavy burden. Make sure that you're not so heavy laden in life with the cares of this life that you miss that day. Amen? So do you got your Bibles out? Does everybody got your Bibles out? Turn to the book of Proverbs. If you're on your phone, make sure you go to Pro- book of Proverbs and not Facebook. Amen? So everybody, let's go to the book of Proverbs chapter 10. Now, there's been many questions about uh, Proverbs, what is a proverb, and and some of that we have discussed. But I think that every now and then it's good for me to do a quick review to tell you what it means or what a proverb is. And so I just want to do a quick review for you since we've already done nine Proverbs. And um, I, I want to remind you that the book of Proverbs is really about, not necessarily about know that, but it's about knowing how to do something. Now there's a distinction of knowing that and knowing how. Knowing how is practical, skillful wisdom. Knowing that is intellectual. And both of those things is found in the book of Proverbs. Knowing how to do this and knowing that, all right? Both is very, very, very important. But biblical wisdom is not necessarily just intellectual knowledge, even though that's very important and that's a part of it. But it is a way of honoring God and honoring others. It's, a, it's, a, it's knowing how to do something. It's practical wisdom, practical knowing how to live out your life where your life honors God. And how many would agree with Pastor Josh that you want to honor God with your life? You want to know a certain behavior. How can I please God? And a lot of book of Proverbs is knowing that, it's intellectual, and it's knowing how. Know that, know how. Know that, know how. And there's an inner, it's interwoven throughout the book of Proverbs. And so uh, the first few chapters of the book of Proverbs is really knowing how to do something, and then you'll get into some wise sayings of Solomon where he gives his son some intellectual wisdom of knowing um, how to do that and not to do that and some practical advice. But the book of Proverbs is really a poetic book. You know, it's a literary form in the, in the Bible and there's many different literary forms in the Bible. And um, there's history books in the Bible. There is um, there's poetic books in the Bible. There is um, the... It's, there's books that tell stories about people's lives, like Jesus. And so, uh, be, uh, the pro, the prof, there's prophetic books. There is also um, um, apocalyptic, which reveals the end times and secrets of the end times. It's a literary form. It's a genre of the Scriptures. But here in the book of Proverbs, you will find the literary form is basically poetic. And it is not a book of promises. It's not that if you do this, this is what's going to happen. It's a general observation of life that if you do this, it could be the outcome, but it's not guaranteed. For instance, the Scripture says a soft answer turns away wrath. Well, you know that there's crazy people out there. You've given a soft answer, but that didn't mean it turned away wrath. Now, generally speaking, it should, but not always. Train up a child in the way they should go when they're old. They will not depart from it. Well, we know that generally, it's true that if you raise children in the right way, they will not depart from it or they'll come back to it. Generally, that's true. That's a general observation of life. But it's not necessarily a promise because we all have stories of people who were raised right and never came back. So the book of Proverbs is a general observation of life that if you do these things, generally, this is what's going to happen, but it's not a promise. Now, I know, ladies and gentlemen, that we... Shout and sing that the book of that all the Bible is the promises of God. But what you have to understand is I'm talking about the context of the book of Proverbs. I'm talking about the context. If you take anything out of context, you can make it a pretext for anything that you want. So I'm looking at the context of the book of Proverbs. Somebody said that the book of Proverbs or a proverb is this it is a concise, it's memorable saying, it's in a poetic form expressing a general accepted observation about life as it's filtered through Bible or biblical revelation. That's what a proverb is. That's what the book of Proverbs is. It's concise. That's why you'll read the book of Proverbs and it seems like verse three and verse two is not, it's not, it doesn't go. It's disjointed. It doesn't even make sense. Verse two talks about a contentious woman and verse four talks about you know, working hard and having good work ethics. It seems like it doesn't flow. Well, because it's poetic language and it's just concise sayings, memorable sayings in poetic form, expressing a general accepted observation about life as it's filtered through Bible or biblical revelation. Because there are proverbs in life. I mean, other people and other authors have wrote proverbs. I mean, there's books older than the Bible. There are other proverbs but it's not filtered through Bible revelation. And what I mean by that is that these Proverbs found in the book of Proverbs can be found in other scriptures throughout the Bible. It's filtered throughout biblical revelation. So you can find scriptures in the book of Proverbs. You can find those Proverbs in other places of the Bible. And that's what makes it uh, different than other books. And number two, it's the inspired Word of God. That's what makes it different. And so it's a concise, it's memorable, it's it's used in poetic form, Uh, it expresses a general accepted observation of life as it's filtered through Bible revelation. That's what a proverb is, all right? That's what a proverb is. You know, one of the things that you'll see is that a proverb is usually simple, and yet it is profound. It's simple. But yet, it's profound. For instance, if you see Proverbs chapter twenty-one verse two, it's simple. A proverb is a simple saying, and it can be profound. All right. For instance, Proverbs chapter twenty-one verse two, Proverbs twenty-one and verse number two. It can be simple, and yet it can be profound. Every, every way of a man, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his heart. That's that's a simple saying, but yet it's profound. We are all right in our own eyes. We all can argue our own point. We we all think we're always right, but it's the Lord who really weighs the heart. It's the Lord who really weighs it in the end. So it's profound because the Lord weighs it, but yet it's simple because we all think we're right. That's true. Every man thinks they're right in their own eyes. Every man thinks they're right in their own eyes. So a proverb is simple. It can be profound. A proverb can be very specific, But yet be very general in nature. For instance, Proverbs 26, 27. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 27. It can be very specific, but it can be very general at the same time. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse number 27. Proverbs 26, 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall in it, and he who rolls a stone will have it rolled back on him. So it is very specific. If you roll over a stone, it's going to roll back on top of you, but yet it's very, it's very general in nature as well. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. That's a general observation about life. It's very specific, but yet it's very general in nature. So I want you to see here that a proverb is very concise. Look at the definition again. A proverb is very concise. It's very memorable. It uses poetic language. It it usually expresses a general observation about life as it's filtered through Bible or biblical revelation. Now, I said that the book of Proverbs is poetic. It's the literary form of the Bible. It's a a type of literary form in the Bible. And if you know anything about poetry, the book of Psalms is a poetic book as well. And in poetry, there's many different types of poetry. And, uh, And we're not going to get into that, but there's... You'll see comparison in poetry. For instance, the book of uh, Proverbs, chapter 10, verse 26, gives a comparison. There's contrast in poetry. Uh, Not only that, but you'll see um, you'll see there's also what is called the staircase in poetry. It seems like it gets they'll in poetry there's something that's a staircase. It builds the climax builds in its particular saying. And so, uh, and there's other things in the literary form that we can explore tonight, but I don't think it's beneficial of our time to look at that. But I want you to see the literary nature of the book of Proverbs. It is a concise. So let me say it again, so that you don't forget this. It is a concise, memorable, because it's easy to remember, using poetic form, expressing a general, accepted observation about life as it's filtered through, as it's filtered through, um, a Bible revelation. And so many different types of literary forms in poetic expression, but we're not going to look at that. Now, it's interesting to me that as you study the book of Proverbs, one of the things that sticks out in the book of Proverbs that I find very interesting is that the book of Proverbs is a is many people have different opinions about this, but most will agree that Proverbs and the book of James in the New Testament is very similar in nature. Because the book of James has some poetry in it. It's not all poetry, but there is some poetry in the book of James. So There's poetic expressions in the book of James. It's very similar. Proverbs and James is very similar in nature. All right. And so let's just look at that just for very just a moment here. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 15, and verse 5, excuse me. James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5. And look, at the, look what James is saying here. If anyone lack wisdom, he speaks of wisdom. This is in the first five verses of the book of James. He, he instantly goes to wisdom. Let him ask of God who gives to all men liberty and upbraideth not. He says, ask for it. If you ask for it, God's going to give, you, give it to you because he's a gracious giver. He's a gracious giver. So James talks about wisdom in the very first few verses of the book. And then you see in Proverbs chapter 2, the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 2, verse 6, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse number 6. I want you to see the expression of Solomon here in Proverbs 2, verse 6, where he says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You see a comparison between the book of James and the book of Proverbs. James is very adamant that wisdom comes from God, and then the book of Proverbs echoes the same thing. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. James and Proverbs, there is a comparison in nature. You will see that very, very strongly. It is the Lord who gives wisdom. And let me make sure that you understand that tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Just because you get older and you have gray hair doesn't mean you are a wise person. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do, Just because you're wise, just because you're older doesn't mean you are a wise person. It could mean you are a wise person, but it doesn't necessarily always mean that you're a wise person. It could mean that you have had a lot of experiences, but you haven't learned anything from it. Can I hear an amen? People who learn from their experience and puts it into practice is a wise person. Can I hear an amen? So wisdom doesn't come with age. Wisdom comes from God. How many would raise your hand and say pastor I've met people younger than me that impressed me with their wisdom can you amen so wisdom comes from God it doesn't come doesn't come from you it comes from God and per- Solomon echoes that principle Solomon echoes that principle you see also James says James talks about and I'm just going to give you a few scriptures because you can read the book of James by yourself for the matter of, for the sake of time I can't give you all the scriptures that parallel but just let me give you a few tonight James chapter 1 and verse 19 James chapter 1 verse 19 James speaks of the issue of anger so then my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak and slow to wrath James is very clear Now, this is a proverb, because it's memorable, it's concise, it's an observation of life, and it's filtered through biblical revelation. You can find this in other scripture. How do we interpret scripture? You interpret scripture by scripture, okay? That's why you don't build a denomination on one scripture. You don't build a church on one scripture. There's a lot of that foolishness in the world. There's a lot of foolish Christians who take one scripture and try to surround their whole life by one scripture. Pentecostals are bad at that, especially taking... Old Testament Scripture and trying to, you know, use it in their particular context. And there's nothing wrong with using Scripture for a personal devotional time and let the Lord minister to you, but you have to be very careful that you understand the context in which the Scripture was written and the historical context by which the Scripture was written as well. Can I hear an amen? The Holy Spirit uses Scripture, and it can be used in devotional time, and it can minister to you. But when you're reading Scripture, you also need to ask, what was the author saying? What was the author's original intent to those original hearers of the Scripture? What, what, what was his original intent when writing the Scripture? And what is the context in which the Scripture was written in? And then Scripture interprets Scripture. So then, my beloved brethren, this is a proverb. You need to be slow to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. You have two ears. You need to hear more than speak. Can I hear an amen? Somebody asked Mother Teresa, what is love? That old Calcutta nun said it's to listen. I would agree with her. When you're trying to, give or talk to somebody and their eyes are rolling around and they're not really listening, you look at them and say, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? Because when somebody listens to you, it shows that they care about you and they want to know what you are saying. It's an aspect of love. Can I hear an Amen. So you've got two ears. Listen more than you speak. Amen? And so Proverbs says the same thing. Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter... Solomon says the same thing in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. Proverbs 14, verse 29, he says the same thing. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 29, he echoes the same principle of James, which is found in James 1, 29. He says, he who is slow to wrath has great... what." has great what? But he who is what? Impulsive, exalts what? Folly. So he echoes the same thing that James echoes. Got to be slow to wrath. Why? Because a proverb is concise. It's memorable. It's an accepted observation of life filtered through biblical revelation. This scripture can be found in Proverbs. Scripture by scripture. It's interpreting one another. Amen. What about... um, uh, James chapter 3, verse 6. You know, James has a whole lot to do with the tongue. When you look at the book of James, it speaks of the tongue often. Amen. It really has a lot to say about the tongue in James 3, verse 6. It says this, and the tongue is a fire. How many would raise your hand and say, I know that's true, Pastor. A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. James is saying, he's making an observation, he's saying the tongue can, even though it's a little member, it can spark a little flame and produce a wildfire. It can really do a lot of damage. The tongue can do a lot of damage. Amen? You know, when you get older, you lose your hair. When you get older, your hips hurt, your back hurt. Come on, somebody, can I help you? When you, get, when you get older, things start to hurt that you know you normally didn't hurt when you was in your 20s and 30s, but when you get older, you just can't move the way you used to move. I mean, even people in the nursing home. No teeth, hair falling out, but their tongue is still going on. Come on, somebody. I mean, so you, your tongue is an important thing. You could be 90 years old up in the nursing home and still lying. Can I hear an amen? I mean, the tongue just never stops. It can set the world on fire. That's a poor analogy, but I just wanted to make you laugh tonight. The tongue, you gotta to tame that tongue, and that tongue is hard to tame. So Proverbs says it, James says it. You know, James says, or excuse me, Proverbs 16 verse 27. Solomon says the same thing. Proverbs 1627, he talks about the tongue as well. Proverbs 16 and verse number 27. He says an ungodly man digs up evil. And it is on his lips like a what? Burning fire. An ungodly man will dig up stuff on you because his lips are on fire. It echoes what James says that the tongue can produce a fire. And there's other Scriptures that... Proverbs has a whole plethora of Scriptures about the tongue. And we won't get into that tonight. You know, James says in James 4, verse 13, James 4, 13, James echoes the principle that you should not boast about your confidence in tomorrow. You should be very clear about that. He says, come on now, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go do to that or do to this in the city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. He says in verse 14, he says, but whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. He says, just be very careful. You're not promised tomorrow. So, Solomon, or excuse me, James makes it very clear be careful about boasting about tomorrow. But you see, Solomon did the same thing. And Solomon in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, 27 verse 1, Proverbs 27 verse 1, he echoes the same principle that you should be very, very careful about boasting about tomorrow. Look at what Solomon says do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So, and I can go on with the plethora of scriptures, but I think you got the point tonight that James is a companion to the book of Proverbs. There is a strong parallel between these two books. Scripture interprets scripture. Now let me just make sure you understand something, that when you go to the Bible, you go to the Bible with, now this is very, very important. When you go to the scriptures, the word of God that's been given to us by the apostles, it's been given to the apostles by the Holy Spirit. There's been a progression. It was given to the prophets of old, and those who wrote the Scriptures, was, they were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They wrote as the Holy Spirit inspired them. God breathed upon them. They wrote the Scriptures using their personality, using their skill, using their ability, because God, God works with mankind. So mankind wrote the Scriptures as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was preserved by the prophets of old. It was handed to us. The Old Testament was preserved by those ancient scribes. And then the New Testament was handed to us by the apostles. It is the Word of God. So it's very important that as you come to the Word of God, that you always come with a prayerful heart first. Why is that so important? Because Jesus said, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. You are to engage the word of God with your mind, but you're also to engage it with the heart. It is a combination of both heart and head. You are to reason, be intellectual about scripture, but it is also a heart thing as well. Now, the reason that is important for you to know, and I want you to listen to Pastor Josh, because in the time of Jesus, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the The Pharisees and Sadducees, they were very intellectual, very schooled in Scripture. They understood Scripture. These people read the Scriptures daily. The scribes, the teacher of the laws, the Pharisees and scribes were very in tune with the Scriptures. But they were not in tune with the Scriptures with their heart. They missed the Lord. Do you understand? It's a heart and head thing. Heart and head. It's a heart and head thing. You see, even the two men on the road to Emmaus, they're walking, they're talking about Scripture. Jesus is discussing the Scriptures with them, and they could not understand that it was the Lord. Is it possible, listen to Pastor Josh, is it possible for me to read Scripture? Is it possible for me to hear a sermon and not understand it and not comprehend it and not apply it to my life? And I would say yes, ladies and gentlemen. There are thousands of sermons upon thousands of sermons preached Every day in the world, and every Sunday, there are pre- preachers and prophets and clergy preaching the word, and yet, is people really giving heed to the Word of God? The scribes, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, all oh, they understood the scriptures, but they were blinded to the scriptures. They did not open their heart to the hearing of the word. They understood it intellectually, but they did not have it. they did not have it experientially. They did not experience it. It's a combination of both, ladies and gentlemen. The two men on the road to Emmaus, they walked with the Lord, and the Bible says he opened the Scriptures to them and discussed who he was from the time of Moses, and they did not understand until you see this Scripture. The Bible says in Luke chapter number, Luke chapter number 24 and verse 45, you know the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, And the Bible says the Lord opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. So Jesus was walking with them. Jesus was talking the Scriptures with them. Jesus was expounding the Scriptures, and they still couldn't comprehend it. They still didn't understand it. The apostles didn't understand it. Jesus taught them for three years. Opened the Word up to them fed him physically and spiritually, and they still did not understand because at his crucifixion only one of them showed up. They could not comprehend that the Messiah could suffer and reign at the same time. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, it's just not enough to hear a sermon. It's not enough to come to church. You must have the Holy Spirit who is our paraclete, to open the Scriptures and illuminate the Word of God to you, that it becomes a powerful sword, like a two-edged sword, and it cuts going, and it cuts going, in and out. That's why preachers can preach and preach, and yet people are unchanged. Because it takes more than just hearing the Word. That's why the Scripture says, He that hath an ear, let him hear, let him hear. Jesus is speaking, but they're not hearing, they're not hearing. They're not opening up their minds to hear the Word, He opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. There is an understanding. I pray, to, I pray to God that when you read the Scriptures, you come with a heart that you want to engage the Scriptures with your mind, but you come to the Scriptures with a ready heart and a willing heart to receive what it says. The book of James says that when you come to the Word of God, you should come to it like a mirror. What do you do in a mirror? You, you change your imperfections and then you leave. Some of us look at the mirror of the Word of God and we don't change our imperfections. We come Sunday after Sunday and you hear the Word of God preached and yet you're not changing any perfections. Let me just make sure you understand this. The Word of God is not going to change your imperfections. You have to change it through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God will reveal your imperfections, but you've got to take the brush and change the imperfections yourself. That means you've got to tame your tongue. You've got to be careful how you respond to people. You've got to change your attitude. There's stuff that you've got to do through the working and the obedience to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we expect God to do it all. God's not going to do it. God is not going to come down and throw away your credit cards and change your bank account and make you get on a budget. God's not going to come down and make you live right, eat right. God's not going to come down and tell you get out of the bed with somebody that's not your spouse. He ain't going to do that. Now the word of God will be preached and when it's preached, it is a mirror and you should see your imperfections and you should go away and understand that I've got an imperfection and through the spirit, I've got to change this thing. Can I hear an amen? I've got to change it. There is a responsibility that I've got to play in life. We can't just sit around and expect God to do it all. God's not going to do it all. God has given us his written word and he has given his spirit within us. And according to the Bible, we have everything that we need to, that pertains to life and godliness. We have everything that we need to live this life. You don't need anything else. You have everything you need. First Peter says you have everything that pertains to life and godliness. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Can I hear an amen? I said, can I hear an amen? You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. I want you to see something. Obviously, these Christians in Rome had the same mindset. They wasn't walking in wisdom. They had the same mindset. They wanted God to come down and do everything for them. But if you read the book of Proverbs, it really tells us that a lazy man is like the hinges upon a door. You just go back and forth. And that's what lazy people do. They just deal with the same issues all their life. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I wish I wish I could I wish I you know I wish I could change this. Well, you're just like a lazy man, just like door on the hinges, back and forth, in and out, in and out, wrestling with the same problem over and over. You've had the same problem for twenty years. It's time that you stop praying about it. You already know the imperfection. Get busy and correct it. Can I hear an amen? And there's Christians in Rome that obviously had the same issue, and Paul who I believe is Paul, is correcting these people. He says in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse six. Listen, listen to the conflict in the church. Romans chapter 10 and verse number six. Romans chapter 10 and verse number six. Must have been a conflict because he's addressing it. But the righteousness of faith is, speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven." That is to bring Christ down from above. And who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is nigh you, even in your mouth, your heart, the word of faith which we preach. Verse number 9, we always use this for salvation, but it is so. It is more, the context is more than salvation here. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Greek word for saved there is wholeness, healing, not just a a transformation from death to life. You know what he's saying here? The apostle is telling these believers, why are you always discussing in your heart that you need Christ to come down to do something? Or why do you think that Christ needs to come up and do something? He says, you already got it in your mouth. Everybody say amen right there. He said, it's in your mouth. And what is this? He said, what's in your mouth? The word of righteousness is in your mouth. Christ has already completed it. Calvary's already done. The work has already finished it. You've got to follow the pr- live in the Spirit. What does it mean to live in the Spirit? Does not mean I fall on the floor, jerk around, speak in tongues? That's not what it means to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is making the right decisions. Walking in wisdom. Following the promptings of the Spirit. Walking the way of righteousness. Speaking righteousness. Walking in righteousness. Making the right decisions. Decisions determine destiny. What you do every day determines a habit. And that habit determines Your destiny. Can I hear an amen? A champion does not become a champion in the ring where everybody's clapping for him. A champion becomes a champion because he makes the right decision every day. And when he gets to the ring and he is recognized for winning, he is only recognized because of what he has done for all those previous days leading up to the fight. You see, we get to the ring of life and we wonder why we're failing. We're wondering why we're not winning in the battle of life. We're wondering why we're failing at life. It's because you haven't made the right decisions all your life. You haven't developed good habits in your life. You haven't made the appropriate decisions in your life. You can't get in the ring of life and fight somebody if you haven't been doing the exercises for the last three years to prepare your body to fight. And some of us want to come to the front and get a quick fix and let the preacher pray over you and put oil on top of you and get a, so you can get delivered from your problems. And God is saying it's not deliverance that you need, it is discipline that you need. He didn't deliver the three Hebrew boys from the fiery furnace. He was with them in the fiery furnace. He didn't deliver the children of Israel from the Red Sea. He went with them in the Red Sea. They've got, they had to believe God. Moses had to lift up the rod. There was a part for them to play. Yes, you do the natural and God will do the super. And that's, therefore you get supernatural. But there's the natural that you got to play. We can't become so heavenly minded. We're no earthly good. There is something that you've got to play. God himself became one of us. He became natural so that he could produce the supernatural. God works with mankind. He is co-labors together with mankind. In order for mankind's problem to be fixed, he became one of us. There's a part for you to play. There's wisdom. There's practical wisdom that you've got to follow where you're not going to have a successful life. You're going to go through your whole life arguing with the devil and arguing with your spouse and arguing with your kids because you're frustrated with life and nothing's going your way when we've got to take time and listen to the word and you've got to correct yourself in the mirror of the word and you've got to learn to start making the right decisions. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I mean, we have young people. and I mean, there's thousands of babies out of wedlock, and then they want to complain about it. You're the one that got in the bed. You're the one that made the baby. It's nobody's problem but your problem. You did it. And I hear an amen. Now, thank God for grace and mercy, and thank God for single parents. Amen. Thank God for all that. There's redemption and grace for all that. But we can't complain about something that we've caused and decisions that we've made. And that's why the book of wisdom is very important for us to understand. Because I believe that wisdom is connected to spiritual maturity. More wisdom equals spiritual maturity. You've got to have it. I think that's the basis of spiritual maturity, is wisdom. It's a discernment of what to do between right and wrong. The Bible is clear about that. If you go to the book of Hebrews, I'm getting to the book of Proverbs. I am talking about Proverbs. All right? But I'm laying the basis, again, of why it's important to do this. Because I hear people all the time, well, pastor, I would come, but, you know, I, I don't... I don't. It's, it's amazing to me that people don't want to learn the Scriptures and they want all the glory of God and they don't want to learn the Bible. Shame on you. The glory of God is the written Bible. You can't have the Word of God unless you understand. You can't have the glory. The glory of God is not separate from the Bible. It's not separate from the word of God. It's not separate. You can't separate it. Amen. I would propose to you more word, more glory. Can I hear an amen? More word, more glory. You gotta have the word of God. Hebrews chapter. So people who follow after wisdom is mature people. How do I know that? Well, are y'all learning anything tonight? Say amen. Uh, Say amen one more time. If you're learning something, say amen. Hebrews chapter... I think it's Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And the Scripture is clear about this. Hebrews chapter 10. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you to see this very, very, very closely here that I think is so very important. Maybe it's Hebrews chapter 9. Let me... Oh, no. I'm sorry. Hebrews 5 verse 12. Hebrews 5 verse 12. Why do I think that wisdom equals maturity? because of this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he's speaking to the church here, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, that you have come to need milk and not solid food. He says, but everyone who partakes of only the milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. To those by reason, use their senses to exercise to discern with good and evil. That's wisdom. Learning how to discern from good and evil. Children do not have, they do they don't have the capacity to discern very well. They don't have wisdom that you should not put your hand on the hot stove. That's not wisdom. But as they grow, they learn to discern that you shouldn't do that. Let me tell you something, this look up here. If you don't listen, you will be made to feel. The Word of God can be preached, but if you don't heed to it, then you're going to be made to feel. Feel the pain of the decisions that you made. I think I'd rather listen than feel any day. Can I hear an amen? Everybody raise your hand and say, I want to listen and not feel. (laughs) I want to make the right decisions. It's kind of like my grandma used to say, do it your own way, Elvis. Just do it your own way. And when you do it your own way, you're going to be made to feel something you don't want to feel. So listen, pay attention, open your heart. Solomon was very clear, my son, give heed to my instruction. Don't grieve your mother and father. You know, Proverbs chapter two, wisdom's like a woman that goes throughout the street screaming to all the simple. And what does the simple do? They go in their homes, go about their business. They don't think wisdom is important. Obviously, by tonight, people don't think wisdom's important. But yet people want to complain about their lives. You see, it's so so true. Wisdom cries in the streets. Cries. Shouts aloud. Give heed. The Bible says in Proverbs 2, they go in their homes and shut the door. There's no understanding that your life can be better if you give heed. Wisdom. Wisdom. And yet, we shut the door of our heart to it. Jesus said you've got to be careful that you're not weighed down by the cares of this life. Be careful. You're not weighed down by carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life that the day will take you unexpectedly. Be very careful. Make wise decisions. You see, Proverbs, I, I would say that somebody who is growing and maturing in the faith is people who are People who are wise, wise, not older, but wise. The Hebrew word for elder, E-L-D-E-R, in the Old Testament, is primarily somebody who is older in age, primarily. But then when you get to the New Testament, it changes. Elder, E-L-D-E-R, is somebody not of age, primarily, but somebody that's wise, see, because somebody who's walking in wisdom are able to discern to make the right decision. That's why wisdom is found in the multitude of counsel. Wisdom is found in the multitude of counsel. What did the writer say in the book of Acts? The book of Acts. The book of Acts. What, do you all know where that Scripture is that I said the other day? And uh, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit That scripture, can somebody look that up very quickly and put it behind me? It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. Does anybody know where that's at? Acts chapter, I don't know if it's Acts chapter 7 or 8. i got it marked here. Um, Thank you, Jeremy. Put it up there. Acts 15 verse 28. And listen to this phrase here that I think is so powerful when it deals with wisdom. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Wisdom is found in the multitude of counsel. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. A lot of people don't like us. They don't like we. They don't want to be involved with a community. Don't want to be involved in church. Don't want to get too close. But according to all the scriptures, you've got to be involved in a community because the Holy Spirit speaks in a community. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and us. This is not an individualistic Christianity. It's not you and your Jesus. Jesus never taught such doctrine. Jesus said, our Father, it's a community. Salvation is not just individual. Salvation is a community experience. What happened to the prodigal son when he sinned? He said, Father, I've sinned against you and heaven. I didn't just sin against you. I sinned against the company of heaven. So salvation is not just about you and your Jesus and your Bible and you getting your glory. Spiritual maturity is understanding. I've got to learn to work with people. I've got to learn to pray with people. I've got to learn to come to church when I don't like it. I've got to learn, I gotta come to church when I don't... I've got to come and learn how to be involved in a community because that community is a sandpaper to help me grow. It seems good to us and the Holy Ghost because the Spirit speaks through a community. Because you can't tell me everybody in the community is not listening to God. There may be nine disciples at the the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. But there's three still on the mountain. Peter, James, and John. Not everybody is walked away from the Lord. There's people that hear from God. It seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. What are you saying? I'm saying people who walk in wisdom is mature people. People who have a desire to grow is mature people. Or have a maturity is, is, is growing up in the Lord. Proverbs chapter 10, we come to random random it's just random proverbs chapter 10 very quickly tonight proverbs chapter 10 is just random sayings because what is a proverb a proverb is a concise memorable it's concise it's memorable it's 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 uh ex- observations of life filtered through biblical revelation the book of Proverbs, especially chapter 10, is random sayings. It's almost very hard for me to lump anything into a category because it's so random. But that would explain why it's Proverbs. It's concise. It's memorable. It's just it's, it's observations of life. It doesn't even make sense. Verse 1 or 2, it could go. you know, Some of them could go together and some of them don't. But when you come to Proverbs, now you know Solomon is not the only author here. Solomon is the major author of the book of Proverbs, but he's not the only author. He is the author of Proverbs chapter 10. We know that one of Solomon's sons um, uh, is also uh, an author of the book of Proverbs, and we'll look at that later. But you see, verse number one, a Proverbs of Solomon. So we know it's from Solomon. He says, A wise son makes makes a glad father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Why? Because of the decisions that he makes. Solomon knows best. He knows that he's brought grief to his parents. He knows he's brought grief. He is speaking from experience. Can somebody say amen? Solomon is speaking from experience. He knows that he has grieved his parents for the decisions he's made. And he is saying here, listen, a son, a wise son, a wise son makes his father glad. What is a wise son? A person who makes the right decisions makes his father glad, but a foolish son will gr- bring grief to his mother. Bring grief to his mother. And then he goes on, and these just random sayings. He starts talking about work ethic. He starts to talk about somebody's work ethic. Number one, he says you've got to, he says you've got to uh, use wisdom. Verse one. So if we just want to categorize verse number one, it's just you've got to use wisdom. Number one, use wisdom. Verse number one, make, use wisdom, because when you use wisdom, you affect other people. Your decisions in your life affects everyone around you. We live in an individualistic society, like I just said, and we think that the decisions that we make only affect us. Ladies and gentlemen, that's poor, poor insight. That's a poor worldview to have. The decisions that you make really do affect other people. And you see here, Solomon is saying that a wise son will make his father glad because Your decisions really do affect everyone around you. It really does. The words you say, your conduct, how you act, it affects everything around you. You can create the atmosphere. Sometimes we create the atmosphere and then we complain when there's a thunderstorm. Well, you're the one that caused the rainstorm. Be very careful. You're the one that caused the hailstorm. Be very careful. You create the atmosphere. Use wisdom. Because your decisions will affect everyone. He says in verse number 2, he talks about the treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. He says the Lord will not allow his righteous soul to famish. He will cast away the desires of the wicked. He who has a slack hand becomes poor. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in the summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in the harvest is a son that causes shame. So starting with verse number 2, actually through verse 6, he's talking about a work ethic for the most part here. It's very hard to categorize this, but for the most part, it's a work ethic. He's saying, listen, during the harvest time, you ought to reap. You should be out there reaping in the field. Because in ancient days, in order for you to make currency, you were either a farmer, you worked in the field, Can I hear an amen, Primarily, you worked in the field. That's primarily where your currency or your money came from. And the harvest season was the season that was the busiest. you got to go out and reap. But if you're sleeping during harvest time, you're going to bring shame. In other words, you know what Solomon is saying? When you find an opportunity to work, work. Can I hear an amen? When you find an opportunity to work, work. Don't sleep. When there's an opportunity to harvest, don't sleep. When there's an opportunity to work, ladies and gentlemen, we live in America. There is something for us to do. We can work. And so, why is that important? Because that's discipleship. It's you engage the Bible, you engage the word with your head, you engage worship with your heart, you engage work with your hands, you engage witness with your feet. You've got to work. You got to serve. Serve in this church and out of this church. You never get a vacation. It's not about, oh I'll do it for a while and give it up. No, you were created to do something. He who gathers in the summer is a wise man. You've got to learn the opportunity when it's given to you to work. He is teaching a work work diligently. Work diligently. When you find your hand to do it, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. Can I hear an amen? he says in verse number 6, Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. This is a random saying. He's saying the blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. I, I forgot. Yeah. What, what is he saying here? Well, it doesn't really go with a work ethic. He switches the poetic form here and says, Blessings are on the head of the righteous. Blessings are on the righteous, but those who are violent or angry... Covers the mouth of the wicked. In other words, you cover the mouth of the wicked. You defend the wicked. You defend the wicked. Those who are angry will defend the wicked, but those who are righteous will be blessed. You see the correlation between mouth and head the mouth and the head. The mouth does not work unless the head is functioning. The correlation between head and mouth. The mouth may work for the wicked, but the righteous is blessed with the head because if the head's blessed, the mouth's going to be blessed. And I hear an amen. The blessing are upon the head of the righteous, but the violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Goes on to say, I love it, verse 7. He says, now listen, go back to verse 6. He says, the head of the righteous is blessed. Then he further expounds on it by verse number 7, saying verse number 7, he says, the memory of the righteous is even blessed. Your memory is even blessed. I don't know about you, I want a great memory. Somebody raise your hand and say, I want a great memory. Hallelujah. See, You see the correlation? For the wicked, for the wicked, their mouth is running. For the wicked, they run the mouth. you got to be careful not running your mouth all the time. But the righteous... Your head's blessed. Your memory's blessed. Hallelujah. Understand and comprehend the word. Amen. Verse number eight, he goes on with a random saying. He says, But the wise in the heart will receive commandments. But he says, Those who are a fool, you're going to fall. In other words, he's saying, If you are wise, you're going to receive what I'm saying to you. You're not going to run away from it because the fool, the folly, those, With no integrity will walk away from it. Verse number 9, he says, He who walks in integrity, he walks securely. You walk with integrity, you walk with securely. Why? Because you don't got to cover up anything. You you don't got to run back and try to figure out, did she say this or did he say this? And try to cover up what you said. If you walk in integrity, the word integrity means wholeness. Listen to Pastor Josh. Integrity means wholeness. That means what I say matches what I do. Or what I do matches what I say. And what you do matches what you say. Or what you say matches what you do. You will walk securely in the presence of God. You don't have to go back and try to cover up something. There's security when you begin to walk. Because what you say and what you do matches up. Those who are perverted, he who perverts his ways will become known Those who don't walk in integrity, your your way will be found out because what is hidden in darkness will come to light. Verse number 10, he says, he who winks with the eye causes trouble. Huh. In other words, those who, you know, the prophet Jeremiah said that there's coming a day when people won't even blush at sin. It doesn't even embarrass us. I got something. Pastor Brandon today in the office showed me an article that's... uh, Actually, it was on the news about just recently people are trying to push the envelope for sexuality and trying to have talks about love and um, sexuality with children. And I thought to is this what the generation is coming to? You see, what we tolerate in one generation will be accepted in another generation. We have tolerated sin for so long that this generation is now accepting what the previous generation tolerated. You know what the previous generation did? We winked at it. And now this generation, we're falling for it. Parents, what you do in moderation, your children will do in Excess. Don't wink at it. It's exactly what's happening. Now we have legalized same-sex marriage. What are we going to legalize next? Marriage with animals? Marriage with three people? I mean, it's just where do you cross the line? We've been winking at it for so long that now what the previous... Gen- homosexuality, ladies and gentlemen, has been here since the, the time of the world. I don't know why we act so shocked by it. Like, we just act so just horrified by it. My God, if you've studied Rome, Nero was the very first emperor who ever performed a same-sex marriage. As a matter of fact, he was in a same-sex marriage. Rome was horrible. This has been going on since the beginning of time. It's nothing new. But all we have done for generations is wink at it. We've not even blushed at it any longer. It doesn't even affect us any longer. And now we begin to tolerate it. You know, I've gotten people upset with me because I said it was sin before in a Pentecostal church. That's where we're headed, folks. Because we've winked at it for so long. We're having people letting down their standards. My grandparents would roll over in their grave. John Wesley would roll over in his grave if he found out that his movement that he birthed is now debating on the divinity of Jesus and whether they should ordain same-sex men. It's craziness. What one generation winks at, we're going to get in trouble, folks. That's why it's very important that you as a believer, you don't let down your standards. You don't compromise, because compromise leads to captivity. The things that you begin to compromise, you will end up in captivity. I'm not talking about legalism, I'm talking about Scripture. I'm talking about standards. Don't weak at it. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Why is this important? Because I've said this and I'm gonna say it again because I think it's important. And since I got the microphone, I'm gonna say it again. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. This is the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 4, 18. Why is this important? Proverbs 4:18. Because Solomon made this random, concise, memorable statement the path of the just is like the shining light or sun that shines brighter into the perfect day. You should be getting better. Your standards should be getting stronger. Your devotion to Christ should be getting stronger. Your love for Jesus should be getting brighter. You shouldn't be getting dimmer. It should be getting brighter. You shouldn't be degressing. You should be progressing. You shouldn't be missing church. You should be coming more. You should be getting brighter. Some of us, the culture has got a hold of our mind, and you're thinking like the world. You're doing money like the world. Raising our kids like the world. Talking like the world. Dressing like the world. Thinking like the world. And anything contrary to that, we get offended by it. But let me just make sure you understand: the Bible is countercultural. It's not in favor of the culture. We are against the culture because we are the church, the called out among the culture. We are different from the world. We're different. We don't conduct business like the world. We don't act like the world. And I'm not talking about legalism. I'm th- the world is the mindset. Why are you acting like? Why, why are you doing business like the world? Why are you letting the world teach your children? Why do you have the same mindset as the one? That's why I don't understand Christians. Not generous, acting like a little mad, cussing Facebook. You're acting like the culture. The church. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Light has no fellowship with darkness. God is at, the enemy is, the world is at enemy with God. The world and God don't get along. The culture and the church don't get along. We're not friends. You say, well, Pastor Jesus ate with the sinners. Yes, He did. But you fail to understand a principle. He had contact and he wasn't contaminated by the world. You can have contact with the world without the world contaminating you. But the problem with the church is we have contact with the world and they are contaminating us. We should be contaminating the world. Not them contaminating you. So grow up. Stop that stinking thinking. Grow up. It's not about being cool. not about being right. It's about being righteous, not right. It's not about defending yourself. Jesus said, put down your swords. I don't need you to defend me. and call a legion of angels to come and get me. Quit defending. Quit being defensive. Quit acting cold. Quit acting like you've got to be number one. It's so, it's so against the Scriptures. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you need to serve. Get a towel and drop your title and serve. You don't get a break from serving. This is the way of the kingdom. This is the mindset of the kingdom. Well, I don't like them. It doesn't matter whether you like them or not. This is an eternal family. If you can't get along now, you're going to have a problem. Set aside your differences. Quit worshiping your opinion. Get your heart right. Quit following the culture. Christ dictate your life. Amen. I didn't finish the book of Proverbs, but I just wanted to give you a little lesson tonight. Is that alright? I said, is that alright? I said, is that alright? You're called the church. The ecclesia. Called out from among the world. You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. What are you saying, Pastor? Look at Pastor Josh. The church is a people within a people. We are a nation within a nation. We are a country inside of a country. We are citizens within citizenship. Can I hear an amen? So you're not supposed to act like them because we're a people in a people. We're just traveling through. This is not our home. Quit, quit envying people's stuff. It ain't, we ain't, this is very temporary. This ain't our home. We're just passing through. Amen. Amen. And somebody lift your hand and thank God for it? The path of the just is growing brighter and brighter and brighter. I'm getting better. I'm, get, I'm more stronger today than I was last Wednesday. Put that scripture back up there, Proverbs 4.18. I'm getting better than I was last week. If you don't have a devotional life, you're going to have an emotional life. Grow up. Life is busy. Who cares? We're all busy. Get a devotional life. Start learning the Word. Read the Word. Make right decisions and say, I'm going to make my life count this year. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to do it for me. I'm not going to have a pity party. We have too many wound-licking fest parties. We want to get our little group together on Facebook and tell everybody how bad our life is so we can lick our wounds together. Quit it. Grow up. You're not a part of the culture. You're a church. Christ is the King and the Master and you are His servant and slave. Quit trying to be a king. Quit, quit, quit trying to be everything to everybody. We only have one Master and one Lord and you're called to be a slave. It's not about who's right. It's not about defending who's right and getting your way. No, 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 no. When you sign up under the role of real commitment, you relinquish your rights for righteousness. It's not about all that junk. Quit acting like the world. The Bible says, renew your mind. Why do you got to renew your mind? Because your mind ain't saved, folks. Your spirit could love Jesus, but your mind could be pitiful. Thou shalt love the Lord, thy God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Oh, well, some of us love God with our soul, but your mind's crazy. Get your mind in order. You're thinking about this and thinking about this. Can't even listen to a sermon. Your mind's everywhere. Get your mind in order. You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Don't tell me you love God if you don't love the Bible. If You don't love the Word. Don't tell me you love God. Because you can't love God because his love is revealed in the pages of this book. Herein is the love of God. This is the love of God, written and preserved by his holy people, so that we can read it and be reminded spiritually and intellectually that there is a plan for us. Can't separate it. Amen. Amen. Now I know some people don't like this type of preaching. But this type of preaching will get your soul out of hell. And I know we don't believe in hell, but there is a place called hell for the doomed and the damned if they don't repent. And ladies and gentlemen, it does exist. And He requires for us to live holy. Amen. Without holiness, no man see God. Hey, hallelujah. Well, I'm glad you come to church tonight because the path of the just is getting brighter. (laughs) And it's shining brighter. Can I hear an amen? I said, it's shining brighter. Amy, Ash, raise your hand. I'm glad you're still free, baby. I'm glad you're still, you're not on drugs because she's getting better and better and better. She ain't going back. She's getting better. Can I hear an amen? Where is this gospel we preach? People come to the altar. Now, if you sin, Jesus will forgive you. You might mess up. We, We preach a faulty gospel. Is not the gospel strong enough to keep you from falling into sin? Is the gospel not strong enough to keep you saved? Is the gospel not strong enough to keep you delivered? Is the gospel not strong enough to keep you in church? Is the gospel not strong enough to keep you? Come on, somebody! Is the gospel not strong enough? Why are we preaching this faulty gospel? That's why we have a faulty experience and a faulty church, because we build up on a faulty gospel. And we have thousands of people leaving a church, leaving church year after year because we preach a faulty gospel of no commitment. I expect you to come to church. I expect you to tithe. I expect you to raise your children in church. I expect you to live right. I expect Facebook to represent godliness. I expect you to come up to another level because that's the gospel. 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 Somebody, an article, was, article wrote and said, the United Pentecostal Church, which is a oneness apostolic denomination, recently has experienced growth. Now, it's not by any means making a worldwide impact, but recently they've experienced growth. So I like to read articles. And uh, the interviewer said, now, why... In the world, would such a denomination like this grow? You know, does anybody know about it? Can't cut your hair, wear long dresses, no makeup, a very strict standard, okay? And young people, there's been an influx of young people in it. Now, of course, most of that's because they were raised in it. But and there's been a slight growth in it. So, of course, they they celebrate the slight growth. So the interviewer said, now why would anybody want to be a part of a church like that? Now, love what they said. They said, well, because the world is looking for some standards, and we give them a clear-cut standard to follow. And the interviewer said, but most churches have standards. And the interviewer said, yes, but it's never understood. Expectations are not really understood in churches. There's not a clear-cut expectation, it's kind of wishy-washy. But they said their movement makes it very clear what they expect, and they make it very clear what the outcome should be. And so young people decide, there's some of them that decide they want standards to follow. There was another article wrote about why liturgical worship is on the increase in America. Liturgical worship. If you, know, if you don't know what liturgical worship is, it's a, it's a, it's a system, it's an order of service. Now we have a liturgy, obviously. But and the guy said, Well, why would in the article it was saying that college students were more drawn to liturgical worship than free worship? Now, what was free worship? Free worship is what we do. Raise your hands, worship the Lord. That's why some people is uncomfortable with that. They they like hymnals. Usually hymn, hymnals teach you experience. It's about, and there's nothing wrong with that. You, you sing about an experience or you sing doctrine. Okay, that's very important. The article said, now why would young people be drawn to liturgical worship? And the, at the end of the report said, because those services are structured, there's a standard, and doctrine is through the service. Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, a doctrine is emphasized so they know what to believe. And intellectual college students want to know what the church teaches. So what am I saying? I'm saying there should be a standard, and people are longing for a standard. I'm not talking about clothesline. That's not not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual standards of scripture, prayer, devotion, the way we live our life, the decisions that we make. Those are the things I'm talking about, and it should affect everything we do. Not this sloppy grace where Christianity is emphasized once a week, maybe twice a week, this is a lifestyle. Amen. This is a way of life. When Jesus took the cross and carried the cross and Simon of Cyrene picked up the cross, do you know why he did that? Because history tells us that when Jesus picked the cross and went through the Via Della Rosa, it was called the one-way journey. Because people who were condemned to death and picked up their cross The Via Della Rosa was a one-way street. I've been there. In other words, the man that was condemned to death, he couldn't change his mind and say, well, you know, I'm not going to die today, so I'm going to turn around and go back home. It was a one-way journey. It was a one-way journey to death. And you've got to realize something, that living a Christian life is a one-way journey, and it's a one-way journey to death. Death to ourselves, death to our desires, death to our will, death to what we want. It's a one-way journey. And it's and if you're a true Christian, you shouldn't be degressing, you should be progressing. I don't understand people who backslide. It's a one-way journey. I said it's a one way journey. Is there anybody in here? When I signed up, I decided I ain't ever going back. When I signed up, I said I'm never going back. I signed up and said I'm going forward, and I'm going to go forward all the way until Jesus returns. I'm staying forward. There's there's no this, I think I might give up or I'm too tired. It's a one-way journey. I'm going all the way. going all the way. Amen. I'll finish Proverbs chapter 10 next week.